spent a lot of time because of VBS in the last week marveling at, at Jesus and his sincere, constant desire uh, to be about his father's business. And anyone who calls God their father as a child of God finds it necessary to concern themselves with the things of the Father. Things that matter to God should matter to us. Is that true? Things that matter to God should matter to us. That may explain why I've had three complaints about a, a cub uniform a shirt down here this week because already things of God, right? Uh, Cubs things creep me out. But anyway, so you, you got this idea, okay? That when you are a child of God, he is your father and he, your, his DNA is flowing through you spiritually suddenly you find the things that are important to him to be the things that drive you, which is why in the text that we chose, the story that we chose is the heart of VBS, Jesus at the age of 12 is in his father's house. That's where he's found. He even says to his parents, you should have known where I would be. And that, I'm glad to hear and see from you, is where you've chosen to be on this Sunday morning, this first day of the week, by God's invitation, you, as a child of God, enter into God's house to be in worship with Him. That is where you should be as a person who is about your Father's business. You've come up the hill to do that. And we're not in, Father, in, in God's house as in this building. If this burned down last night, we were meeting at the pavilion or even in the, in the grassy knoll out here, right, the hill. If we were just out there on the grass, we would still be God's house because where God's children are gathered and the praise of him, it becomes his house. But we associated over the years with sitting in a pew. There'll never be any other place in your life other than a church, I would think, that you sit in pews. It's an altogether unique seating experience and each of you has your spot we we talk about this all the time we make fun of each other all the time where we sit you have your spot everywhere I've been in my life from Fredericktown on to from from success Arkansas preaching there everywhere I've ever been I had that one spot I'll show the kids and everyone who goes to Fredericktown I'll, I'll show them where that spot is it's up at the front my parents were in the back I was always up in the front it's it's where you were do you remember potlucks now we do church meals now you know where the main meals provided and you kind of supplement. back in the day I can't believe I'm saying this back in the day we all brought the dish if there was any food we brought it church didn't spawn remember this Gary you remember this you talk about it. so and, and your dish had your name on it usually a, a little tape and your name or maybe you put a marker on it and you'd bring your dish it would be everybody knew everybody's dish Hazel had a casserole at, at Fredertown I remember that she threw everything in that she had left over and she made a casserole and nobody touched it because they knew what she did that's just the way. But her dish was there. And, and afterwards, they would clean the dishes. And I'm not sure why that, that was a big deal, but the ladies all got together and cleaned them. And you, and you put them in the spot and you take them. In. And if you forgot to take your dish, do you know where it ended up by the next Sunday? In your pew. Everybody knew where your pew was. And so it ended up right there. And that's where your blanket and your pillow was too. That strange blanket that, that, that's a pattern that you wouldn't see anywhere else. And it's because, you know, the deacon over the thermostat was always hot-blooded, and it was always cold at church. And so you had your blanket, your warming mechanism, and you left it in your pew. And if, you, if somebody wanted to give you a card for some reason, that's where they would put it. And you had your funeral home fan. 
Anybody remember the, anybody have a funeral home fan? It was stapled to this little, little stick and you, and you did this and then somebody would steal it at church and steal it from your pew and you'd go find it and you'd put it back in your, this was all what happened at your pew. And from that spot, every week, week in, week out, you would draw near to God and experience those incredible things that worship has to offer. It was from that spot you left your Bible and your pen there. Church history reveals just how interesting the story of the church pew is. In the 13th century, up to the 13th century, you'd bring your own stool. That's what you would do. You'd bring your own, and that's what everybody would sit, and then they'd take their chair with them. And I can hear the, the final announcement every Sunday. All right, y'all, take your seats, please. Right? Not sit down, but take your seats and go home. Right? And it left it vacant. And then they decided we're going to sell pews, and you could buy your own pew, and it was literally your pew, or you could rent them. Pew-letting is what they called it, and they raised funds for the church efforts by uh, auctioning off seats. Those of you in the back would have to pay a premium. NRA, you'd have to pay a, a premium back there to get that back seat. Uh, it, you know, most concerts you go to, you want to get near the front, not at church. We want to get near the, the back. And so we would rent those things out, right? That physical, but it became, your seat is that physical spot you're in when you experience being part of the church. When you offer your praise to God, it starts from right where you are, and it becomes a, a significant thing. And you start, with everybody around you, you sing the same words, you say amen to the same sermons. You, you break the same bread. At least we used to. Now it's packaged different, but used to, we'd break it off. Y'all remember those days back in the day when we passed a tray? Y'all remember that? I mean, that's kind of like, by the way, in Fredertown, you're going to have to do that again, y'all. I'm just telling you, just brace yourself for that tray experience. All that's happening at your seat, and you, and you get to know the people sitting around you. Those people around you hear their voices. You get used to seeing them when you walk in, and you kind of know your bearings of the auditorium from where you sit. Uh, this is not unusual to us. Those of you who go to Garth Brooks' concert, you know, you got all these strangers around you, but all of a sudden you start singing, I've got friends in low place, and everybody's singing at the top of their lungs, and everybody around you, they're terrible. Nobody would sing like that, and you wouldn't sing like that anywhere else, but you're at a concert, and you're sitting around each other, and you in solidarity sing this song, and, you, and it's like, man, we are family. No, you're not. You'll never see them again. But for a minute... Because of why you're together. Now, sometimes that's not true. A few weeks ago, we took Abby to an air supply concert. She knew not a word. And she looked at me and she said, is that guy going to live through this concert? And I said, of course he is. The EMTs are right over there. And she said, yeah, that's in the section of the wheelchairs. They'll never get to him in time. Right? She had no idea what these words were, and so for her as a foreign, but we were enjoying it with all those other old people uh, that were with us. And it's just kind of, but, but church is like that, and it's all ages, but he, what unites us is what brought us here, and that's the only real thing for sure that unites us. And we come together, and we sit in that spot with those people, and each of us sings with our voices contributes our amen, takes that communion from right there. In that spot, week 
after week after week. The word church, typically, not all the time, but most of the time, it comes from this word ekklesia of the Greek, which means a gathering. It's all it means is an assembly. And it can be political, it can be social, or it can be spiritual. So when Paul is taken up by that mob in Acts chapter 19, the mob is called an ecclesia. It's certainly not a church. They were ready to kill him, right? But most of the time, it's used in the way of those gathering in a cer- certain location for the express purpose of sharing their faith and worshiping their God. The ecclesia of Iconium or Lystra or Derby or Corinth or any other of the cities of the, of the new, first century. It even is used in Exodus chapter 19 when they're gathering at Mount Sinai and God comes down and visits with them. And that's their, the, the nation of Israel is ecclesia, people gathered there for worship. And he gives them the first four commandments for sure that are all to do with the worship when you gather with me. Who do you worship? Uh, commandment number one. Next screen. Commandment number one. Uh, you worship only God. Um, how do you worship? Well, commandment number two, not with a graven image. No, no, you just trust my, you trust my wording. I will communicate to you who I am. How do we worship? With reverence. You don't take the Lord's name in vain. That's not primarily about cussing. That's primarily about honoring the name of the God you serve. And then number four is, when do you worship? Well, every Saturday, keep the Sabbath day holy. You make sure you observe it. So the first four, when they gather in an assembly, as they're gathered as an ecclesia, let's get this worship thing straight. That's what I'm calling you to be, worshipers of me, God says. And there they are. And God made himself available to his people on these certain appointed times and places in the tabernacle. And he provided them content through Moses and through the prophets and the law and the songs they sang of the Psalms eventually. Jesus comes along. Jesus leaves heaven, enters earth, realizes we discovered this week with VBS, realizes who he was and immediately feels drawn to be where? In God's house. That's where people who know who they are as children of God, that's where they want to be. The disciples continued this in Acts. Paul, when he would start a church, he'd go into these cities and start, believers would start responding, and then he would make sure that when he left, there was a church left behind, an ecclesia that would gather. You need to gather. You need to be together. You need to rehearse your faith. If you're going to maintain and sustain your spiritual identity, you must get together as God's people. Even John in the Isle of Patmos, when he has this revelation that is revelation, You think he's all alone. Well, he's not because in chapter 4 he says, I want you to come up here. I want you to come up here, John, into the throne room of God. And there he gathers with all the spiritual people in the throne room of God. Even in the Isle of Patmos, he's not alone. Lots of people think I can worship God better alone. That is not true. Take your place where you always do. Don't worry about the noise and the wrestling going on around you. God summoned here, God summoned you here, but what you are doing here, what you've already done this morning is not all that earth-shaking. We live in a time where you have to up the ante every time. I've got to get better and better and do something more and something more. And got to be something dramatic and something constantly changing and something really fresh and original. But you will find that our worship is none of those things. The worship here today is not original. It's not original at all. And it's not all that dramatic. 
God is the director, and he orchestrated this entire thing for us to, to, to convey something about himself and to provide us something, an opportunity for us to give what he wants, not what we want. We don't orchestrate this. We didn't create this. We don't design this. We just honor God's design that he put on it. And I think worship has changed very little over the years. And it makes sense. God doesn't change. His word doesn't change. So the worship won't change much. Those of you who were here or in church somewhere in the 50s and the 60s, we've updated some stuff. There's some newer songs. There always has to be newer songs. But for the most part, you do the same things you always did. What more can you do with a communion? It just can't change that much. And I think that's what God designed it for. Whatever generation, whatever group you're from, when you drop in the middle of worship, you're going to find it familiar because we can do very little different with it. And so it's not this dramatic thing. And we're not going to try to entertain you like crazy either. Prayer is offered. Much like Elijah at Mount Carmel, it wasn't hocus-pocus, cut yourself and dance around. It was simply pausing and talking to God. That doesn't change much. Reading Scripture, and Scripture will never change. And so when we have a Scripture reading, it can never change. God made it timeless. You can't update it. You can't make any appendix to it or a new yearbook to it. It is going to stay that way till the Lord returns. And then the preacher kind of applies it to you, and we sing the spiritual songs, the communion of the saints, all of that is what God established. And, and y'all, it's just not, can I say the word sexy or, it's just not all that dramatic. It's simple. It's simple. The beauty comes from the simplicity. And if we did have a fire burn this building down and we met on the hillside, we could do every single thing we do in this building without a hitch. We could take this baby on the road without a hitch. And that's how God designed it. We feel compelled sometimes. I want to draw people. I want, I want people to, to feel drawn toward it and manufacture something extra, right? Because these things just are not just are not really impressive all the time. And we can order them different. We can have the communion before and after and one song here and three here, or we can switch it. Or we can do all that stuff. But there's a limited finesse that you can do. You're going to hear a sermon. You're going to hear a prayer. You're going to hear the singing. You're going to have communion. You're going to do this untold hundreds of times in your life. Many of you already have. You're going to hear sermons all your life. Break bread hundreds of times. And here's, here's maybe the most shocking thing at all is if a person is not filled with the Spirit and not a lover of truth, this will never be exciting. I can't make this exciting to the person who doesn't care about spiritual things. We want to add stuff to make it compelling, and some people do that. But once you do that, worship isn't what God intended. It is inevitably for the people of God to express themselves in the presence of God with full belief and full integrity and full understanding of what they're doing. 
And God does something to us, and it's not going to be pleasing. Or maybe it will be to the unbeliever. But here's what happens at your new birth. You know what new birth is? You have no spirituality at all. God has to give it to you, the new birth. And when you are baptized into Christ, you come up with new taste buds. God gives you new taste buds. Different things satisfy you now. Different things have a craving to you now. Things like sin before, the things you want to stay in the world and be fleshly minded, those things are now fading away and a new taste bud comes on the scene and these new flavors burst your mind. And you're like, this is what, this is what jazzes me. This is what livens me up. Spiritual things. I went home a few times from Kennett after I joined Lions Club. I've mentioned this before, but I'd go home and my mom and dad had, they raised all the stuff in the garden. They had a huge garden at that time and they'd have all this stuff that I would never eat before. I still won't eat asparagus, but Brussels sprouts and broccoli and okra and all that stuff. I used to find it repulsive as a kid. You know, chicken strips and fries. That's what I'm going to live my life on. Some of you college students still do, right? I started eating all that stuff, and I liked it, and I just eat it, eat it, and it was like, what is wrong with you? Well, I told him, I, I sit at the heart attack table at Lions Club, all those heart attack people, people with open heart surgeries, they show me their scars, and they say, if you want to prevent this, we'll show you how you should eat, and we'll doctor it up for you so it tastes good. And so they started taking me to this bar at the, at the Grecian Steakhouse in Kennett, and they'd load up on those Brussels sprouts and load up on the other green stuff, even just flat greens, and they put hot sauce on it. It tastes pretty good. And then I'd go home, and I'd eat that stuff, and my dad was like, what's wrong with you? Well, I got new taste buds. I've trained myself to eat different because i got more at stake now, right? And so here's the thing about worship. God designed this to feed your spiritual lives. And if you have no spiritual interest at all, nobody is going to make this exciting. If you do, anyone doing these things will be able to nourish your soul. If I have to do a song and dance to make the Lord's Supper meaningful to you, something's wrong with you. I don't have to say a word. Do you remember when we had long periods of silence during the Lord's Supper? You remember that? I'm not going to fill that with something to entertain you. We're gathering around this memorial. It's like a funeral. No, I don't go to strangers' funerals I don't know anything about. But this is a funeral. And by the way, he's alive, so it kind of alters things a little. But we're going to a funeral of our Savior. I care about it. This is a story that means something to me, and I don't have to entertain you about this. It's a spiritual thing. And so here, I, I'm not going to make our worships. I'm not going to try to do something that just attracts that outsider necessarily. I hope maybe he finds it he minds understandable, but if you don't have a spiritual desire in you which by the way God puts in you when you are baptized he puts it in you but you still have to feed it in Romans it says this those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh that's all they think about that's what they do all my movies all my music all my time i, I just i find the, the the greatest satisfaction in my heart paces whenever i'm doing fleshly things but he says those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the spiritual things in worship 
should nourish you and please you. But that's up to you and God. And a song and a dance is not going to do it. There is a, a passage that talks about this. And here's the other thing about these elements. They're very unremarkable. <laughs> there's nothing all that glamorous about our sermons. I'm the preacher, and I'm telling you, there's nothing all that amazing about the sermons. Not necessarily anything amazing about the songs. You know you can sit through the song session, hear it, and even contribute to it, and not even think about it. I know you can. But there's something happening. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians, or is it 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians, sorry, 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, not like the Old Testament believers who had a veil, right? The veil was torn, right? With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are looking into the face of God as we worship. Whether we know it or not, we are, are being transformed. This, while you are giving him praise and doing what you need to offer to him, even as designed by him for that, you are being transformed, little by, notice this, into the same image. You're being looking like Jesus more and more as you do these things. And you don't know what's happening. You don't know it. You don't feel it. It's not rearranging the furniture of your life necessarily. But he says, for this comes from the, the Lord who is the Spirit. But notice what he says, one degree of glory to another. You're moving ever so slightly week by week into the image of Jesus when you do this. And you're going to say to me, I hear it all the time, I don't remember the sermon you preached three months ago. I don't either. But that doesn't mean it didn't move you a degree. Just little by little by little, our lives are changed. You won't walk out of any one worship service and say, I just moved 80 degrees. No, you probably didn't. But you did move some. This is by God's design. We were in Slice of Street 21 years. Here's our pew that we sat on. I, this is now in my house. It's just unbelievable to me. They committed the sin at Slice of Street of moving to chairs. For those of you who like chairs, you have time to repent. Then you hook them together. It, it's fine. It's fine seating. But as Melissa says... We raised our kids on this pew. And it's not just sentimental. You can lay a kid who's fallen asleep down there without any. But with these chairs, these little gaps are in there, and they can slip through there and die. And never to be seen again. That can happen. So if you want to prevent that, just stay with the pew. This is God's ordained way of sitting at church. And so when they were getting rid of those to do the sinful act of backsliding into chairs, we got that pew we sat in, we cut it in half. Well, I now have a little padding on there, thanks to Clint Dials who helped me put that together. It's now on there, and it's just like it was when our kids were growing up. And there's, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I got that padding on there that's full of the drool. You know the drool? You lay the kid down, and it just drools all over that pew pad. And that drool is in there. And not only that, but there's gum all over the bottom, all the way along. It was there for 40 years, so there's gum all along there. And I didn't even take it off. Some of them broke off. Can you imagine gum breaking? Gum broke as we moved it. It just kind of clumped up. If I had CSI around, I could figure out whose gum that is, but I don't care. And there's places where kids have kicked it. 
Places where uh, just little scars on it. And the guy who put it together for me when he took it apart said, you want me to take those out? No, 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 no. Leave all that in there. That was our experience. 21 years from there, they heard great preaching. (laughs) From there, they took their move on a Sunday morning to go up to the baptistry. From there. It's now sitting in our house. It was too long. It just doesn't fit anywhere else. I know, but it, it just, we had to make it part of it. Bring it all. And so that place is sacred, y'all. It's sacred. Hebrews 12, 22 to 24. This really is a worship scene. It's preceded by the worship scene of Old Testament believers. You didn't come to a mountain that's shaking and burning. You didn't, you're not coming to that when you worship. Here's what you're, and I want you to listen to this. Because I wish you could see. You remember the story of Elisha when he was surrounded. They were surrounded by their enemies and the servant is so terrified. And Elisha says, God, help our servant to see to see, open his eyes that he can see, and he does. And the army of God in horrendous power is surrounding the enemy. You remember this story in 2 Kings? I wish for you that while you're sitting here and hearing the noises and looking at people all around you, altogether unremarkable, I wish you could see what was really happening here. That your eyes could just like open up. And we're not in a battle. We're not surrounded by the enemy. But if you could just see what's happening here. And here's the only scene I know like this other than Revelation 4 and 5. And it goes like this. But you, you've come to Mount Zion, God's house. You've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God and the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of it. You've come into this holy place, and God is here, and Jesus is here. Just the blood of Jesus is purifying you even right now. And even, even the perfect souls of those who've gone on before are here in this moment and I don't know how to even understand that you're sitting in a pew but that's happening church the only way I know to describe this is a simulator ride at Disney or Universal where you're sitting in a chair but you'd swear you'd swear after the ride is over we went all over the world that's happening from your pew right now We are in the presence of a holy God, a living holy God. Angels. We sing that song every once in a while, and you can feel angels. I know that there are angels all around. And the one that gets me is those saints that have been made perfect. As I'm sitting here, the voices of Bill Berry and Gail Holder and Ann Jones and Bill Smith and Gene Harris... Wherever they go, they, I know what they're doing. At this moment, on this holy day, the Lord's Day, they're praising just like we are. And there's something about that that makes this so incredibly amazing that if I have to try to convince you of it and do a song and dance to get you excited about it, you're just not listening. 
Jesus left heaven, and he longed for heaven. He, that's the joy that set before him that helped him to endure the cross. Jesus left heaven, longed for it, but when he was on earth, you know what he did? He got to as close to heaven as he could get when he got in the worship of his God, and he wouldn't miss it. And the closest you can get to heaven is right here, even though sometimes it's hard to picture it because it doesn't appear that way, does it? Reading a book the other day about this lady who always cherished this one woman at church growing up that she sat in the same place every day every Sunday and she heard her beautiful angelic voice she heard her say amen and they talked before after and after worship but she sat right there and then she had this long surgery and recovery and she was out of church for a while and she still this this other lady came to church and she noticed the vacancy every Sunday and noticed that when there should be somebody nodding or should be somebody grunting an amen because they've been doing it for years from that spot. There was silence there. And, it just, and then finally she was able to come back and suddenly she said, the, the, there she was. Her presence, her, her sound, it was all there. And church was what it was supposed to be. Because of all that happens from right there in that seat. I, I think very little changes in worship as far as what we do. But that doesn't mean that there aren't some things we do that impact what happened here. What we do will vary very little, but I think that how we experience it can be impacted by some interesting things. New songs, PowerPoint. I mean, a lot of people get uptight about PowerPoint, but that's just a high-tech bed sheet. Does anybody remember bed sheets or chalkboards? All this is is a high-tech chalkboard. This isn't change. But who is here changes the experience. Remember ever watching a movie by yourself and you think one thing of it and then you invite somebody you care about to watch it with you and it changes the entire thing. If you want to improve your worship, make it better, the best thing you can do is know each other better. Get to know those who gather with you a little better. That second Sunday share that we're doing, I love it because it puts you in a smaller group and you get to know each other. And then the next Sunday, here you come together and you bring with you the things that you learned about each other and it enriches this experience. Sunday morning isn't just about Sunday morning, it's about other things. And Also, our challenges that we've been doing, and I, I've kind of neglected to say what June's was. You've sent cards to each other. You've had meal at each other's house. You've even donated things in name of each other. And, and this, this June, this June, I'm going to tell you how powerful this is. This June, right now, that we're in, you're supposed to go visit two people at their house, whether in their yard or on their porch. You don't have to go in. It has to be somebody you haven't met before. Those of you who are older, it needs to be a younger person, at least one of them. And those of you who are younger, it needs to be one person who's older. Get to know each other in a small way like that. Just the other day, we have uh, Graydon and AJ come by and they brought these amazing muffins they'd made. Blueberry was my favorite, but chocolate was a killer. I mean, it gave me blood sugar high problem, right? I had to borrow Kenley's insulin. No, just kidding. I, but it was amazing. So they come by, they visit on the porch, they ask a couple of questions and they leave. And a week and a half later, he's baptized. That's what happens when you go visiting. But that is how it happens when you get to know each other. That's what happens in worship when I gather. And do you know this is my first worship service with Graydon, my brother, in it? First communion. Does that matter? Did that make any difference today? It did to me. should to you. That fellowship. Yeah. It's hard to say what it does to us. 
It matters to me, and I stress just to Riley Gardner all the time, and I make sure she sees me and I see her, and she may think it's no big deal, but it's a big deal. I want to see her here, and I've seen her here already. The Dials have been gone for a couple of weeks. They had an adventure getting back from their vacation. I, I just kept telling them, I, I know you're gone. I've seen you gone. I just, and I'm not looking for an excuse why they're gone already knew, but I'm just telling them it's just not the same. The number of times I text one of you and say I didn't see you, and you say, well, I was there, like I'm looking at Clint Hatcher right now. Last Sunday I sent him a text, didn't see you yesterday. He said, well, I was there, preacher, he said. I said, well, I just didn't see you, and it made a difference to me. There's a serious charge in the air when we fill this house, isn't there? There's a serious charge when as many of our members get together as we possibly can. we got people gone, and there's all sorts of good reasons, by the way, that they're gone. I'm just saying when there's that frequent Sunday every once in a while, when we just have everybody almost here, there is something electric in the air, isn't there? There's just something. And it's not just because of the volume or the number. It's because the families here makes a difference. When Dana Hayes, she's here. She's not been feeling well. She's still here. It makes a difference. Becky Mulholland, early service after her healing. Shirley Simpson was not here again today. It's frustrating to me when she's not here, especially when Larry Colbert takes her spot, seat in the pew back there. And I want to say, you came for worship today. You may have struggled to come. Or you may have just can't wait to get here. I don't know. But you're here. And together as a family, we, from right where you're sitting, went into the throne room of God, an angelic accompaniment, and we worship with all the saints of all the ages, the very God who created all things and who will eventually be the one with whom we live in close, close union. We did that today, right here from your pew. And for some of you, you're jazzed about that, and it changes your week. For some, you might be sitting there going, it didn't do much for me, and I'm going to tell you something. That doesn't say anything about the worship. It says something about you. And it says something maybe that spiritual things don't matter enough. And listen, that's an important tool, that worship, important role that worship plays. If it is not meaningful to you, there's a fine-tuning you need to make in your soul and your spirit to make these things matter. That's partly up to you to do, and that's what this is an indicator of. And so you've got work to do. We all do. So regardless of how you got anything out of this today, this worship today was good for you. We're together. The church in the pew, from where you sit, you enter the presence of God and offer him the praise he wants and that you need to deserve, and you're being transformed. And I hope to see you here next time, too. And I'm going to look for you right there in your pew and wait for this to happen again. And this morning, if, if there's, there's one group of people that this could mean nothing to, person who's never been born again, a person who's never been given spiritual life, the Holy Spirit within them to, make, to cause them to yearn for spiritual things, that could be the greatest problem for you. And this morning, that could be resolved. If you decide that Jesus is your Savior and you want His blood to atone for your, sacrifice, your sin, we are, we've entered the place where Jesus' blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel is in abundance right now. And this morning, you have an opportunity to be spiritually reborn and have your taste buds changed. And we'd love to see it happen.
But if you've done that and for some reason those taste buds have been dulled by what you've been feasting on and you need the prayers of this church to reshape that, we stand ready for that too as we stand as we sing to encourage.